All right, if you'll take your Bibles and open them up with me to the book of Ezekiel. We will be in chapter 27 tonight. Ezekiel chapter 27. Let's begin by reading verses 1 through 11. The word of the Lord came to me. Now you, son of man, raise a lamentation over Tyre and say to Tyre, who dwells at the entrances to the sea, merchant of the peoples to many coastlands, thus says the Lord God. O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty. Your borders are in the heart of the sea. Your builders made perfect your beauty. They made all your planks of fir trees from Sinir. They took a cedar from Lebanon to make a mast for you. Of oaks of Bashan, they made your oars. They made your deck of pines from the coasts of Cyprus and laid with ivory. A fine embroidered linen from Egypt was your sail, serving as your banner blue and purple from the coast of Elisha was your awning. The inhabitants of Sidon and Arvad were your rowers. Your skilled men, old Tyre, were in you. They were your pilots. The elders of Gabal and her skilled men were in you, caulking your seams. All the ships of the sea were their mariners, with their mariners were in you to barter for your wares. Persia and Lud and Put were in your army as your men of war. They hung the shield and helmet in you. They gave you splendor. Men of Arvad and Helak were in your walls all around. The men of Gamad were in your towers. They hung their shields on your walls all around. They made perfect your beauty. We will cover the entire chapter tonight, but we'll start verses 1 through 11. On September 23rd of 1896, Queen Victoria of England became the longest reigning monarch in the storied and long history of Great Britain. She had reigned for 60 years. When a monarch reigns for 60 years, I just learned this, it it is referred to as a diamond jubilee. That is the the reference to that period of time, that, that celebration, if you will. So Queen Victoria celebrated this mark in June of two, or excuse me, Queen Elizabeth II actually celebrated this mark in June of 2012, so that happened pretty recently. But to celebrate this grand occasion in 1896, Queen Victoria organized a massive event. Of course, a public holiday was declared in in Britain, and all foreign places where British subjects were residents, they also declared a, a holiday there. Eighteen carriages carried the Queen and other members of that royal family along the streets of London. Three million people visited London to witness this event. Dignitaries from dozens of other countries were in attendance as well. The celebration, it continued on past that, that day though, it continued on for two more weeks. Parties and banquets were held, memorial fountains and towers were erected in commemoration. Poems were written. Not all of these poems were written in the spirit of celebration, though. In light of this event and the spectacle of it, the well-known poet Rudyard Kipling was burdened by what he saw. He saw it as more than just a celebration of 60 years of rule by Queen Victoria, but also as a grandiose display of pride in Britain's wealth and power. So he penned a poem entitled, Recessional. To mark the occasion. I'm going to read that poem for you. It's, it's pretty short. Uh, and I, I think it goes with our passage tonight because much of this passage is actually written in poem form. But let me read that poem for you. Quote, 
God of our fathers, known of old, Lord of our far-flung battle line, beneath whose awful hand we hold dominion over palm and pine, Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. The tumult and the shouting dies, the captains and the kings depart. Still stands thine ancient sacrifice, and humble and contrite heart, Lord, Ho- Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. Far called, our navies melt away, on dune and headland sinks the fire, lo, all our pomp of yesterday is one with Nineveh and Tyre. Judge of the nations, spare us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. If drunk with the sight of power, we lose wild tongues that have not thee in all such boastings as the Gentiles use, or lesser breeds without the law. Lord God of hosts, be with us yet, lest we forget, lest we forget. For heathen heart that puts her trust in rebuking tube and iron shard, all valiant dust that builds on dust and guarding, calls not thee to guard, for frantic boast and foolish word, Thy mercy on Thy people, Lord. I'd like to begin by saying I wish we had poets like that today. But Kipling saw something in in Britain at that time that that worried him. It concerned him. Now, Great Britain is still standing today and, and still one of the leading powers, if you will, of the world, although not quite as they were at the time of this Great celebration of the Diamond Jubilee. I think I said 1896 to begin with. It was actually 1897, just to quickly correct that. But I know, I know. But the fact that Great Britain is still standing today and is still a, a leading power in the world today does not make Kipling's warnings any less real or any less truthful. Obviously, Kipling, Kipling, excuse me, Kipling referenced Tyre in that poem, if, if you caught that. And there is no doubt that his impress, or inspiration for doing so in that poem comes from our passage tonight, along with the other chapters, the other four chapters that deal with the fall of Tyre here in the book of Ezekiel. Over the course of four consecutive prophecies that we have in the book of Ezekiel, chapters 26 through 29, Ezekiel warns Tyre of her coming destruction because of her pride. Which again is exactly what Kipling was concerned about there with Great Britain. What he saw in the people and in the times of Great Britain. In our chapter tonight, Ezekiel is sent to give a lamentation of Tyre. And so the the title of my sermon tonight is pretty simply that. The Lamentation of Tyre. It is A a, a lamentation is also commonly referred to as a dirge or even a, a, a eulogy. The last word there probably rings a little bit more true to us. One, thing, one word that's more common to us, a, a eulogy is what those normally are called. And eulogies given today are, are normally much more uh, praising than what this lamentation is here tonight. It is a speech or a word that is given at a funeral about the dead. It is meant to be at the, about the life of the deceased. And that's exactly what this chapter is. It is a description of the existence and the demise of the city of Tyre. Yet it is given long before Tyre actually falls. That is how sure the promise of God's Word in chapter 26 is though. Brian preached that last week, but in that chapter, if you recall, God indicts Tyre for their failure to acknowledge Him as God 
and promises their destruction because of that. This chapter then, given to Ezekiel close to that same time that chapter 26 was given, is a statement to the veracity of God's Word. God can speak of future events in past tense because He is outside of time. And He declares the end from the beginning. In verses 1-3a, through 3a, the beginning of, of verse 3, we are told who this lamentation is for, right? It's, it's pretty straightforward. God gives a clear description of who this is. Again, Brian did a good job last week of painting the picture of the city of Tyre for us, but let me do that again briefly because I think it's important for our passage tonight. Tyre was a very well-known and prestigious city during the days of Ezekiel. It was located along the coast and was a hub for boats and for merchants. Tyre had a a mainland portion of the city, which was obviously located on the coast itself. Mainland Tyre still exists in some form today, although it is a shell of itself compared to what it once was, specifically during the days here of Ezekiel. But there was also an island city of Tyre located off of the coast itself. This island city was what I would call the diamond of Tyre, the diamond of the people of Tyre. It was where all the wealthy and influential people lived, including the king. As we will see emphatically in this chapter, Tyre was a busy port where people from all surrounding nations came to do business. Because of this, they were wealthy and they were influential. If you can imagine a modern day New York City or or Tokyo, except with a lot less citizens, and that might be comparable to what we can think of at Tyre was at this point. So beginning in, in verses three or verse three B, Ezekiel states the, the overarching sin of Tyre. He says, O Tyre, you have said I am perfect in beauty. That sin then was the pride, the sin of pride and arrogance due to how great that city was. Ezekiel will use most of this chapter to explain what all of this beauty entailed. It wasn't just visually beautiful, but it was one of wealth. It was one of military strength. It was one of vast commerce. Interestingly, the phrase here, perfect in beauty, was also used by the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations 2.15 to describe the pride and sin of Jerusalem, which led to its fall. Ezekiel then uses this picture of a ship here to describe Tyre in verses 3b through 9. He starts by stating that her borders are in the heart of the sea. And we have a view of this ship sitting in the sea, ready to sail. God says that your builders made perfect your beauty. So, while this was not a declaration by God that Tyre was perfectly beautiful, like there was no imperfection with Tyre, it is an acknowledgment, it is a statement by God that she was a beautiful city. So in verse 5, he continues to build this picture of this of this. Ship. He states that the plank of the boat was made from the fir trees of Sinir. Its mast was made from the cedar of Lebanon. Now, Lebanon is often referenced in Scripture as a place for renowned and beautiful cedar, right? In verses, verse 6, the oars were said to be made from the oaks of Bashan and the deck from the pines of Cyprus. And it was laid with ivory for even more grandeur and beauty. Each one of these places, as, it, as he's describing this boat, each one of these places were famous for these particular types of, of wood. Other nations and peoples would pay handsomely for these items. They were the best of the best. And that's the picture we need to have as, as we're seeing this boat built. So we see the picture 
of this boat being painted, uh, this beautiful boat made from the best that the world could offer. Ezekiel, Ezekiel continues to paint the picture in verse 7. He states that the sails were embroidered with fine linen from Egypt, which served as the banner for the ship. Its awning was made of blue and purple dye from the coasts of Elisha. Now, it was much more expensive to color clothes and material during, during this time, especially than, than now, right? And, and there were certain places that were able to make very vibrant colors, and so they were expensive and highly desired, and, and they were traded often. And we have that picture, actually, of this type of wealth and this type of trade in the New Testament. In, in Acts chapter 16, while on a mission field uh, to Philippi, Paul preached to a woman named Lydia. Lydia was from a city named Thyatira, and she was a seller of purple goods, which is what we're told there in Acts 16. At that time, Thyatira was well known for being the the center of indigo trade, and purple goods were popular among the royalty and the wealthy. And this is much the picture that Ezekiel is painting here in describing this ship and describing these dyes in the ship of Tyre, it had an awning made of blue and purple. So this, this dye was a picture of wealth, prestige, and, and even royalty. And then in verse 8, after painting the picture of the most luxurious and beautiful boat that could be made, Ezekiel begins to describe the crew on this boat. And make no mistake, even though he's getting to the crew, the crew had no, no less glory to boast of than the actual ship did. This crew was the best available. The rowers were men of Sidon and, and Arvad. They were both cities, Phoenician cities, which were located on the coast and, and were known for their shipping prowess. The actual pilots, though, were the captains of the boat. They were from Tyre itself, as they were well known to be skilled mariners themselves. In verse 9, the elders of Gabal were, were said to be those putting pitch into the seams, caulking the seams. These were men who were well-known builders. They were there to take care of the ship to make sure it stayed beautiful and stayed afloat. See, boats during this time, they were made of wood and they would use pitch, which again here is called caulking, and, and they would use it to cover the crevices uh, in, in the wood to make sure that water was not coming into the boat. Over time, though, that caulking from the waves and from the, the battering it would take, it would start to loosen up or even it would go away in certain areas. And, and so the People would have to cover that up again. They would have to caulk it again, put pitch back over it again. And that's, these men were, were supposed to be doing that. They were said to be on this boat doing that, caring for the boat. Solomon had actually used men of Gabal to build, help build the temple along with the men of Haram. We can read about that in 1 Kings chapter 5. So we see here both a beautiful boat made from the greatest, most expensive, renowned material that could be offered in this this world at this time, crewed by the most renowned, skilled mariners, rowers, builders, people that could be put onto a boat in this ship. That's the picture that we have. Having painted that picture of this boat in verses 10 and 11, Ezekiel begins to describe the, the military might of Tyre. Now, to begin with, the, just the very location of Tyre was one of military strength. It's not mentioned specifically here in, in this verse or in these verses, but the city, again, I, I mentioned to begin with, it, it, part of it was located on the mainland there on the coast where most of the common citizens lived, but the city there out on the water was 
very, very difficult to penetrate. I mean, it was hard. The, the walls made it very difficult to penetrate, hard to get to, to, to get onto the sea, uh, along with what we'll read about here in a second or talk about here in a second with the military might that they possessed, the navy that they had. It made it very difficult to impossible to penetrate that city. They possessed a skilled navy, and, and as we're reading here, they had skilled mercenaries hired to defend them. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, during the life of Ezekiel, he attempted to sack that, that city out there in the sea, but it, it took him 15 years to try to break through the defenses, and he still didn't fully conquer that city. That's how nearly impenetrable that city was. Here we see that Persia and Lud and Put were put in their army, men of war, these skilled warriors. As I stated, most commentators believe they were hired mercenaries from these areas, from these countries. They were part of the army. So they joined with what was already a strong navy and an army there with the men of Tyre. And they made a, a very strong military. Persia is mentioned here for the first time in Scripture at all. This is the first time Persia herself is mentioned. She's on the, the precipice of power right here, though. She's not quite risen to power, but she's on her way up. And it, it won't be but about 50 years later in uh, 39, 539 B.C. by the leadership of Cyrus the Great that Persia will actually defeat Babylon and conquer them. Lud and Put were known mercenary armies at this time, and they were even seen in Jeremiah 46 as being mercenaries in the Egyptian army. It says that their shield and their helmet hung on their walls, which added to the beauty of the city. And it warned anyone who might want to make trouble, hey, we're here, we are defending, we are part of this army. I think part of the imagery we are, here to, we're, we are to see here is not just the beauty, though, of the, the shield and not just the, the threat of this mercenary army and the strength of the military army, but I, I think that we're see, to see here that these helmets and these shields were just hanging there. What I mean by that is they weren't being used, right? They're just, they're just hanging there. There was no real threat to Tyre at this time. Not only did they have that military strength, but no one desired to wage war with them. Because as we were about to see, all of these nations had a lot of their own wealth and commerce tied up into the city of Tyre. So beginning in verse 12, we'll read through 25. We read, Tarshish did business with you because of your great wealth of every kind. Silver, iron, tin, and lead they exchanged for your wares. Javan, Tubal, and Meshech traded with you. They exchanged human beings and vessels of bronze for your merchandise. From Beth to, Ga- to-, to Garma, they exchanged horses, war horses, and mules for your wares. The men of Didan traded with you. Many coastlands were your own special markets. They brought you in payment ivory, tusks, and ebony. Syria did business with you because of your abundant goods. They exchanged for your wares emeralds, purple, embroidered work, fine linen, coral, and ruby. Judah and the land of Israel traded with you. They exchanged for your merchandise, wheat of mineth, mill, honey, oil, and balm. Damascus did business with you for your abundant goods because of your great wealth of every kind. Wine of Heban and wool of Sehar and casks of wine from Uzal they exchanged for your wares. Wrought iron, cassia, and calamus were bartered for your merchandise. Didon traded with you in saddlecloths for riding. Arabia and all the princes of Kedar were your favored dealers in lambs, rams, and goats. In those they did business with you, or in these they did business with you. The traders of Sheba and Ramah traded with you. They exchanged for your wares the best of all kinds of spices and all precious stones and gold. Haran, Kaneh, Eden, 
traders of Sheba, Eshur, and Chamad traded with you in your market. These traded with you in choice garments, in clothes of blue, and embroidered work, and in carpets of colored material, bound with cords and made secure. The ships of Tarshish traveled for you with your merchandise. So you were filled and heavy laden in the heart of the seas. If you're an expert in those city names and how they're pronounced, then please correct me after we get done. But we see here, after having described this great beauty and military might of Tyre, Ezekiel takes a large portion of this chapter in verses 12 through 25 to describe the vast commercial empire that Tyre was at this time. In these verses, we begin to understand why they were able to have such beauty and wealth. Notice, as we read through that, the vast number of countries that regularly dealt with Tyre and the array of items that came and went there. There were about two dozen different nations that are mentioned here, represented in this section. All of these cities or nations which did business with Tyre, and they did business in Tyre. Tarshish is probably in, in southern Spain. Javan, Tubal, Meshach were the, were the Greeks. To, uh, Aram was in Syria. Meshach, Beth, Targumal, Targumal, they were in eastern and southern Turkey. Dedan, Arabia, Dedar, Sheba, and Ramah, again, were all in Arabia. Judah and Israel were trade partners. We obviously know where they were from, where they're at. According to verse 17, according to Charles Feinberg, Damascus probably provided Tyre with her chief export, that of wine from Helbon, which was made from a grape growing in the northeast region of Damascus. This wine was a choice drink according to Assyrian inscriptions, and, and it was highly prized among Persian kings, just to kind of give you an idea of the type of trade that was going on here. And the remaining names here were all in the Mesopotamia. Along with the vast number of these trade partners, the goods that were traded were vast as well. I've already mentioned the choice wine from Damascus, but other items mentioned here are silver, iron, tin, lead, bronze, copper, precious stones, including rubies, emeralds, and gold. There were workhorses, war horses, mules, lambs, goats, rams. There was wheat, Olive oil, honey, coral, confections, spices of all sorts, herbs like calamus, balm for medicinal purposes, and cassia, which was a bark used for perfume. Tyre dealt turquoise, purple and blue fabric, embroidered work, fine linen, and beautiful blankets and rugs. And to top all of that off, they also traded in, in human slaves. All of these things were coming and going regularly in the city of Tyre. They were part of their regular commerce coming from all of these countries, all of these cities. But I mean, as you, as you hear that and you paint that picture of what was going on in Tyre, I mean, it is just, again, it is a bustling, beautiful, rich place. In verse 25 or 26, though, we begin to, to see the real lament here. The, the end of Tyre. It says, Your rowers have brought you out into the high seas. The east wind has wrecked you into the, in the heart of the seas. Your riches, your wares, your merchandise, your mariners and your pilots, your caulkers, your dealers and merchandise, and all your men of war who are in you with all your crew that is in your midst sink into the heart of the seas on the day of your fall. So through, the, through these first 25 verses, Ezekiel 
he's given us a very thorough and detailed picture of Tyre, right? It is so precise and detailed that it is as if Ezekiel had seen this mass commerce of Tyre, its merchants and its merchandise with his own eyes. And, and that's very possible that he had at some point in his life. Obviously, he's in Babylon at this point and hadn't made the trip to Tyre to make this prophecy. I mean, he's not sitting in Tyre watching this going on at this point. He's in Babylon. But it is possible that he had made a trip or two to Tyre prior to his exile and he knew exactly what was going on there. But it is also very possible that Ezekiel had never stepped foot in Tyre. But the Holy Spirit didn't need Ezekiel to step foot in Tyre to make this prophecy, to talk about what was going on in Tyre and to know what was going on in Tyre. He didn't have to have Ezekiel set eyes on Tyre to write such vivid splendor and vivid description of what was going on. What we see though is a great city, right? I mean, let's be honest, that is what we see painted here. So when God tells them, back in verse 3, O Tyre, you have said, I am perfect in beauty, I think we can see why. Tyre was pride, or proud of their city. Arrogantly proud. But from the world's perspective, they had every reason to be proud and arrogant of their city. The city was majestic and beautiful. It was wealthy. It seemed impenetrable from the outside forces. But the thought of even needing to defend it was hard to fathom because every nation seemed to love Tyre. Why? Well, again, I mentioned it already, but because they benefited from Tyre, right? Tyre was where their money was made. For most of these nations, then, to wage war on Tyre would be to wage war on their own bank accounts. And nobody's waging war on their own bank accounts. Well, maybe some are. Maybe but most people are not. So we see here a city that had everything that the world wants. Everything that the world chases. If the world was going to construct a perfect city today, it'd hard for me to be, it would be hard for me to imagine a different picture than what is painted here, than what the city of Tyre was. But they were missing one incredibly important thing. A fear and recognition of Creator God, Yahweh. God was in none of this. He was recognized in none of this. And God hates pride. He hates the arrogant. He hates because it takes glory from something it shouldn't take glory from, someone it shouldn't take glory from, God Himself, and puts glory in someone or something it should not, the creation. Pride in a person, city, nation, or people group gives glory to the creation when glory is only due to the Creator. Haughty eyes are one of the six things that God, God hates according to Proverbs 6. God says that pride and arrogance in the way of evil I hate in Proverbs 8.13. And the well-known verse in Proverbs 16.18 warns us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. This pride, this haughty spirit that God warns of there in Proverbs 16, warns of the fall, that describes Tyre. With all the beauty, all the wealth, this haughty spirit and this pride was just as prevalent. And it is the direct cause of the fall of Tyre. 
So in verses 26 and 27, Ezekiel paints this picture of the destruction of Tyre. We go back to the vision of the ship that we got in verses 4 through 9. Back to the place where Tyre was the most confident, the most comfortable, there in the sea. Ezekiel talks about how the rowers, they brought this ship out to Tyre, out into the high seas. Probably, I don't want to put too much into the the text, but they probably did this and and go into what we'll see as the east wind because of their pride. They, They didn't fear anything. They didn't fear obvious danger even. More applicable to our text, though, they didn't fear God. God who had control of the sea. So they braved these high seas and these east winds, and then they're wrecked. Now, many commentators, as we read this east sea, they see, east wind, they see this east wind, and they say this is God's prophecy that Babylon is going to soon fulfill. Babylon represented, is representing this east wind, and they're soon going to destroy and take over Tyre. And that could be possible. God has used directions and natural phenomena to picture an invading country and a prophecy. Now, admittedly, I am far less intelligent than these commentators, so I could very well be wrong about what I'm about to say, but I really don't think that's what the picture is here. I really don't think that Ezekiel is describing the the coming army of Babylon here in this east wind. Again, to reference Brian's sermon last week, if you haven't heard that, go listen to it. He did a great job, but he did a great job of explaining how Tyre didn't completely fall when Babylon invaded it. I've mentioned that already tonight as well, but after that invasion of Babylon, Tyre actually rebuilt that mainland and, and of course, still had the, the island city, their, their pride, and they stayed prominent for years after Babylon came and, and uh, conquered it in some, to some extent originally. It may not have been quite what it was in the days of Ezekiel, but it still was a prominent city, and it stayed that way for the most part, until Alexander the Great built a a bridge to get over the sea and to get to the city in 332 B.C., some 250 years later. And at that point, complete destruction came on the city. And that city out there in the the island, the island city is, is today uninhabited. Now, Alexander... The great would have traveled from the west to defeat Tyre. So because of that, commentators naturally point to this east wind being Babylon. That's the only explanation they, they offer. But I think the picture here is really more than just a specific nation that we're seeing. I think Ezekiel is really just painting the picture of the hand of God alone in judgment. He controls the wind, right? He controls the sea. And whether it was Babylon or whether it was Greece or any other country who could have or would have defeated Tyre, ultimately, they were used by God to bring that judgment anyways. So he is declaring here in these chapters that he is the one bringing this judgment because they did not recognize him. They were prideful against him. There's a similar picture of God's judgment in, verse, or in Psalm 48, in verses 4-7 through seven of that psalm, in speaking of God's protection of the city of Zion from other nations, the psalmist writes this, For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded, they were in panic, they took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there, anguish as, a, as of a woman in labor. And then we read in verse 7, By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. Very similar to what we read here. Again, to reference the great preacher Brian, he preached that chapter, so you can go back and listen to that to get a full explanation of that chapter. But he brought out in that chapter that that was clearly a a description and declaration of God's hand of protection on the city of Zion. 
there in the east wind causing this destruction on the ships of Tarshish. It, was a refer- it wasn't a reference to any nation or army. It was just God. It's a reference to God. So again, I, I think that's what we have here. This east wind is, is just a picture of God's judgment. God brings this east wind on this ship out in the sea and destroys the sea. God's judgment comes on, or excuse me, it destroys the, the ship that, sh- that represents Tyre. God's judgment br- comes on the city of Tyre. And we read all of the riches, all of the wares, all of the merchandise, the mariners, the pilots, the caulkers, the dealers, everyone and everything on that ship sank into the heart of the seas. The idea here then is that Tyre was devastated. Every single thing that they took pride in was destroyed. Their riches didn't save them. Their military military might didn't save them. Their well-protected city didn't save them. Their economic, economic prowess, their influence, their popularity, none of that saved them from God. Nothing on the face of this earth, was going to save them from the judgment of God, no matter how much faith they had put into it, and no matter how much they had accumulated. It all came crashing to the bottom of the sea. In verse 28 we read, "...at the sound of the cry of your pilots, the countryside shakes, and down from their ships come all who handle the oar. The mariners and all the pilots of the sea stand on the land and shout aloud over you and cry bitterly. They cast dust on their heads and wallow in ashes. They make themselves bald for you and put sackcloth on their waist. And they weep over you in bitterness of soul with bitter mourning. In their wailing they raise a lamentation for you, a lament over you. Who is like Tyre, like one destroyed in the midst of the sea? When your wares came from the seas, you satisfied many peoples. With your abundant wealth and merchandise, you enriched the kings of the earth. Now you are wrecked by the seas. In the depths of the waters, your merchandise and all your crew in your midst have sunk with you. All the inhabitants of the coastlands are appalled at you. And the hair of their kings bristle with horror. Their faces are convulsed. The merchants among the peoples hiss at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. In verses 8, 28 through 32, we see this initial reaction from the surrounding nations. We see a lament. We see shock. We see, we see deep mourning. Verse 30 says that those standing on the land, they cried out bitterly and they went through their customary mourning process. In verse 31, they were said to weep in bitterness of soul and with bitter mourning. They wailed and raised a lament. Again, Tyre it represented human greatness, right? It, is a, it was a great city. It was a source of great wealth, not only for the people of Tyre, but for all, those, all of those surrounding nations. So to see Tyre destroyed, it really signaled the frailty, or even the, how the greatest city of man at that time, one of the greatest cities of men, it could be destroyed. It also meant the loss of opportunity, the loss of wealth, the loss of money for these surrounding nations, these merchants. And that was probably the most devastating part for them. These nations and these merchants, they were, they were bitter over their inability to use Tyre to gain wealth for themselves any longer. In verses 33-36, through 36, we see some of this as Ezekiel summarizes the fall of Tyre and, and then the eventual response of those around her. He says, for a while, basically, you, you satisfied the many peoples, the many nations. Their wealth, their abundance, and, and their stuff, it satisfied these nations around her, and, and they loved her for it. As long as the kings 
were filling their pockets, then Tyre was amazing, right? They were a wonderful city to be praised and to be celebrated. But now that she's destroyed, though the nations and the, the merchants were appalled, they, they were appalled in part because they couldn't believe what had happened to such a great city, but they even hissed at her as we see here. They, they, were, they were disgusted with her now that she had nothing to offer them. She had become a place of scorn instead of a place of celebration. And so we end the laments of Tyre. So what are we to take from this today? What are we to take from this in modern day America? From Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, from believing Christians? Well, I think one obvious thing, and we've mentioned it several times, is that pride is to be done away with as best we can in every part of our life. We shouldn't have pride in, in, in any beauty that we think we possess, any beauty that we think our city possesses, any beauty that we think our, our nation possesses. We shouldn't take pride, arrogant pride, let me put it that way, arrogant pride in, in our skills, in, in anything, right? I mean, arrogant pride, it again, puts the focus on us and takes our focus away from the One who gave it to us. Pride is to be pushed away. That arrogant pride is to be taken away, pushed out of our lives as often as much as possible. We see here also that the plowing of the wicked is sin, right? I mean, the meaning behind that is that we can, someone can be doing anything in this earth and in and of itself it's not sinful, but there's no recognition of God in it if you, don't, if you, if you do not believe and trust in Him. Right? If, you, if you do not recognize God in what you are doing, it is, it is wicked. You are taking pride in it, of yourself, in it for yourself, and you're putting the, the pride in yourself instead of recognizing that God gave you whatever you're doing, whatever skill you have, whatever wealth you have, whatever you might have obtained, God has given that to you and you're taking the credit for that. We see that as a great example here in Tyre. I know Tyre is very prideful in, in their, their city. They were very prideful in themselves. But a lot of what Tyre was doing was not in and of itself wicked, but it was wicked because they did not recognize God. This dirge of lament for Babylon, it, it's set in stone or, or in writing. And, and it is just as sure to come as the lament of Tyre, excuse me, let me skip back. I skipped over my, my middle point here. We see, I think we can see in this, a very close connection to what we see in Revelation, the, the book of Revelation, specifically Revelation chapter 18. We see the, the fall of Babylon in that chapter. A couple of passages or verses from that, that chapter, we read, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her uh, torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city of Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. The merchants of the earth will also weep and mourn for her, and they will also say, Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. The shipmasters and the sailors at this time will have a very similar reaction and a, and a very similar lament. In, in Revelation 18, that, that dirge or that lament of Babylon it is set in stone and it's set in writing here in our, in our book. 
And it is just as sure to come true as the lament here that we have of Tyre predicted. We know what happened to Tyre. We know that it came true. The destruction of Babylon has not taken place yet, but we know it is just as sure to come true as Tyre's destruction and lament. For those who place their faith in their own power, their own beauty, their own popularity, their own wealth, judgment is coming. Further, as a warning to all who might be seduced by Babylon or cities like her today, Lamar Cooper Sr. states this, those who place their dependence on the power and wealth of God's opponents will suffer an irreparable loss. Those who build their lives on the solid foundation of His Word, though, will stand confidently. Look, all worldly wealth and greatness is going to come to an end. There's no way around it. Don't chase after those things. Don't chase after what the world chases after. Tyre brought this judgment on themselves because of their pride and their failure to acknowledge and praise God. Make no mistake, He allowed them to have their abundance despite their rejection of Him. At least for a period. But that did not last forever, right? Tyre stands then as an example to the world that no worldly greatness can stand against God. As Christians, that should be an easy acknowledgement for us. We, we should be able to acknowledge and, and praise God in that. We, we shouldn't struggle with that truth. And I don't think we do mentally. I think we all recognize that truth and, and we acknowledge that truth. Sometimes practically though, we might at times struggle with that more than we're willing to admit. We might let fear, anxiety, or worry make us doubt the power and goodness of God. We might let riches or skills or things that we take pride in take, take over our worship of God. By doing that, we're allowing ourselves to entertain the, the idea that God can be thwarted. That something is greater than God. We're entertaining the thought that maybe God didn't mean what He said when He, he said that He's working all things out for our good. For those who love Him. For those who are called, called according to His purpose. Look, those words are true. No matter what our life seems to, to show us at times, no matter how bad things might seem to be at times, no matter how good things might seem to be at times, those words are true and we should hold to them and trust in them no matter what. Lastly, for the, for the non-believer, there is no acknowledgement of that truth that, that nothing can thwart the hand of God. There's just a rejection of that, Right? And because there is just a rejection of that, if you are a non-believer, if you are one who rejects that and does not believe in Creator God and believe that anything that you can do or anyone else can do can thwart His hand, take Scripture seriously. The people of Tyre didn't. The people of Judah didn't. We've learned that already through many chapters. The people of Tyre didn't. There is coming a day when many in this world will not either. They will stand with the beast and they will shake their fists at God, and they will attempt to try to defeat Him, and that will end in destruction. Do not be part of that fold. Do not be part of that thought process, even if we're, you're not here at that time, if that were to take, when that takes place. Put your trust in the Almighty Creator God. Know that nothing you or anyone else can do can thwart Him, and there's no reason to. There's no, there shouldn't be. He's a good God. Those who believe in Him and trust in Him, He's working all things out for our good. So, 
Trust in that. Stand with me.